The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Make Life Work, the show that explores people and culture and shares some ideas on how to improve both. Your host is Kathy Ellis, and she will entertain you and share insights on how to make life work. Now, here's Kathy Ellis. Hello, and welcome to Make Life Work. This is Kathy. Today, I have a, a guest with me in uh, my office, Julie Choquette. She and I are coworkers and dear friends, and we're going to talk about raising independent thinkers. Last week, we talked a bit about independent thinking and how important it is that we all kind of get there so we can start to change the culture in in society. As we see, it's pretty ailing right now. When when Julie and I were talking about this after the show, about, about this week's show, about raising independent thinkers, she had this great example. And Julie's been working with kids about 20 years. We've been, like I said, co-workers at the Child Abuse counseling agency for a long time what was your example it was a personal example she had about parents that um make decisions for you right that's what it was about decisions how you should feel decisions what you should think um how to live your life, basically, uh, on a minuscule level. Uh, I'm one of seven children. My father was old school. Everybody got treated the same, which in some pieces is okay and works well. But there was no, um, there was nothing there to develop you as an individual. To accommodate the individual personalities. Or even allow you to, to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, told when, how, what. And you had a point, what did that do? What is, I think you were a very independent person, but what did you say about that today as an adult then? How did that affect you as an adult? It took me a long time as an adult to um, develop my own personality. And in, in, this is something we've talked about before. When you're by yourself, you're quick to make a decision. Yes. If something oh. needs to be done, oh, yes. right? Yes, yes. But then when there's other people around, you... You get stymied. I defer to them. I ask questions. I get uh, self-conscious. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. So, and because you, when you are on your own, you can make decisions quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And then when you're with people, it's different. That just really talks about learned behavior, right? That this is learned behavior. Oh, uh, yeah. Learned behavior or... So innately in you, I mean, if you know, I see so much confidence in you and your ability to take care of business. And then there's that flip side where you get stymied and stifled, and that's got to come from child rearing growing up. Oh, absolutely. And what were you seeing earlier before we got on the air about parents with their own agenda? Oh, yes. Um, parents with their own agenda. Yeah, we were talking about um, the reasons why parents 
Whoa. <laughs> I can't remember um, <laughs> the wording. We're having a little technical difficulty, so please hang in with us. Um, what we were talking about, you were, we were, we're talking about independent thinkers, and you had been, you were saying something about the parents with their own agenda. They want their kids to grow up and be this or do that or sports, and they're really sort of living, I would say, vicariously yes. through their kids, but they're putting their agenda onto their kids. Right. What they what they would have wanted, what they didn't have, what they didn't succeed in, what they didn't accomplish, and, and their children as. Um, I think too many parents are too worried about what that says about them if their kids aren't, you know, exactly what they think they should be. A reflection on them. Right, right. And I I had some experience with that early on with my children who were both very shy, naturally just, they were shy, reserved children. And uh, people would want to talk to them and, and get them to talk and they wouldn't do it. And it, like, you know, some people try to make their kids hug or talk. I never did that with my kids. It, it was okay. They didn't need to, you know, appease a stranger or whatever. You know, they needed to be respectful. They needed to be um, appropriate. But they didn't need to, you know, make anybody happy that they were being spoken to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't do that. We allow them their own comfort in their right. own decision right. on that. And they're very, they're, they're, they're shy, reserved kids, people for the most part, but um, they're very confident. Yes, yeah, sure. There's no excuses for that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I've seen working with, with kids in an abusive families too many times with a little one, especially where the parent goes, go hug Uncle Jimmy or go hug, oh, here, go hug your counselor and you just met. And I've always said, no, no, that's okay. I've literally had kids look up at me and say, please, no. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give anybody a hug. Um, so one of the things was, we were talking about making, uh, raising independent thinkers. And one thing I've learned in my tenure in the field, um, counseling field, excuse me, and with my degrees in child development, is that babies who are nonverbal actually understand more than they can let on. So I've seen a lot of people, parents, talk about very difficult adult topics in front of their infants or high chair babies who and think that they don't understand them, but they do. They do understand a lot of what we say. And so people need to keep that in mind because they're starting to absorb our opinions and our thoughts and the way we look at things. Um, they also listen to everything uh, adults say in, in the household, when you're, even when you're not talking to them. So a, a child might be in another room and a couple is having an argument or a discussion in a, a different room. Well, that child might not hear exactly everything one, they will be listening the best they can, but they'll pick up the emotional content as well. So it's really important from my perspective to not have those conversations, the difficult adult conversations around babies, because they do understand. Um, well, it's actually really good training, because at what point do you stop doing that? I mean, at some point, most parents don't do that mm-hmm. anymore, because they understand the child can understand what they're saying. 
that's a really hard switch to make if you're doing that to just all of a sudden stop doing that. So just start out doing it. It's about energy. The kid picks up all Mm -hmm. that. That's energy. Mm -hmm. Yes, I had a roommate once that her son might have been 18 months. He, uh, maybe 16 months, he was pre-verbal still, and she was talking, he was playing over in the corner quite comfortably, sat, you know, content, playing on the little blankie with his toys, and she was talking about giving him up for adoption, and halfway through what she was telling me, he had crawled over and now was trying to cr- climb up her legs and was crying, and I watched this whole thing, and, I, and no doubt in my mind he knew what she was talking about. Well, he may not know what adoption is, he knew what she was talking about. And it was pretty upsetting. I don't know what ever happened to them. Um, let's see. <clears throat> one of the things about teaching kids to think, one, well, one of the things we do is we always ask children, how did that make you feel? And Oh, yeah. Are you sad? Why are you crying? You know, so-and-so grabbed my you know, my toys at school today and took them and ran. Well, how did that make you feel? We already know how it made him feel or her feel. And I've had a lot of parents say, I don't want to put words in my child's mouth. Well, you're training them. You're teaching them. They don't come equipped with all these words. So I prefer to say, you look angry. You look sad. What I see, I, I, with, when it comes to feelings, I like to say what I see. You look very angry. And then I want to add, what did you think about that? Because I want the kids to think more than feel. We feel whether we want to or not. It's just going to happen. There's no concern. Uh, but thinking is something that is an exercise that it takes training. Um, my dad used to say, use your old noggin. Any point to his head. And my dad did teach me to be a pretty independent thinker. Um, let's see. So you want to ask, how does that make you feel? Or no, I'm sorry, what do you think about that? And I don't understand why people, parents don't do that so much. I don't either because it's fascinating. Isn't it though? To it's- ask them what they think and they start. And a lot, you know, at first sometimes it'll be like, oh, I don't know. Well, I'm going to give you a minute. What do you just ask questions. Yeah, well, think about it. What do you think? You know, it's, um, it's funny. Sometimes you have to stop. You know, you don't want to laugh at them. But well, yes. It's pretty entertaining. Right. Well, like you were saying earlier, too, she's, Julie has two teenage boys. Um, but one of them was telling her something. You know, kids come up with stuff they get at school or wherever. Or outlandish. Like, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to do this and this. I mean, it was really pretty. Right. Or it had... Clients come in and say, you know, my science teacher says um, cancer doesn't exist and, and buys into that. And I've seen a lot of parents with adolescents, you know, teenagers think differently. They're just grabbing bits of information and it's not all organized yet. You know, the teenager says something, it might even be conspiracy theory oriented, and the parent jumps on them and says that's stupid or whatever. And it isn't. It's just a moment in time where they have a bit of information they haven't thought out yet mm-hmm. so you ask questions ask questions they then they start working it out and and you know because then what what purpose would it serve to tell them they're wrong to prove them wrong you know to not validate what they think and their thinking process that comes back to the personal agenda doesn't it it does if my if my personal agenda if my need is to prove people wrong or prove mm-hmm. my child wrong that's really about me and my agenda and it's a broken agenda because it means I have to put myself in a one-up position. 
I know more than you. I know better than you. And you probably do on a lot of levels, but they need to figure that out themselves because it becomes counterproductive. Mm-hmm. They don't, they won't, they don't hear you. All they know is that they're going to go, you know, the opposite way. But it's pretty interesting, the process, if you watch them and you're asking them questions and you're getting them to <clears throat> elaborate on whatever thought it was they had or what they were saying. And they actually work it through as they're speaking to you and um, process that through. And I've seen my son come to like a, to- a different conclusion than what he had. And then kind of switch over and you just kind of roll with it. and Instead of shutting them down. No. No. Right. What's the, yeah. And so that not shutting him down, entertaining his um, point, whether it was right or wrong, and asking him more questions really is teaching him to think, to think things through, to, to challenge his own presumptions even that he's picked up from here and there. Well, what a great way to, uh, you know, relate to your child and have them relate to you. Yes. Yes. And then feel feel comfortable talking about things and all too often parents just dictate. Dictate and correct. Dictate and correct. I need you to go clean your room. You didn't do it good enough. And given they have to have parameters and they have to have all those things, but when you do validate your kid and you listen to them and they feel valued and they feel like uh, their views and their thoughts are important, then they're so much easier to, to work with around the other things. Mm-hmm. They accept, you know, the structure that you give them. They thrive with it. Yes, and I think well, they'll come to you then also. So if you do this in regular conversations, just your normal everyday conversations, and validate what they're thinking and validate how they think their process and that then they will come to you when there are difficult things because mm-hmm. they, you know, they know you're going to talk with them and speak with them instead of just reprimand them. Yeah. Well, especially teenagers. I think teenagers, yeah, they can be difficult. They're figuring stuff out. There's hormones. There's all that kind of thing that they're going through. But I think, and I hear this from a lot of teenagers too, that they don't, they just simply don't feel liked and valued. Yes. They feel dismissed. Teenagers, all the teenagers I've worked with have always felt dismissed. And a lot of times kids don't appear to want you to engage them, but they really do. They do. They're just uncomfortable or they have had experience of people not wanting to engage with them or already judging them. It's funny in the field of therapy, a lot of people don't want to work with teenagers and a lot of adults I've talked to think teenagers are the hardest to work with. For me, they've been the easiest hands down because of what Julie just said. They want someone to listen to them. They want someone to treat them not like an equal. They don't want to peer when you're an adult, but they want somebody to have a conversation with them. And I have not found teenagers at all difficult to work with. Even the angriest, hard, most hardened teenagers, um, once you go, they got in the office and you showed them that respect, they loved it. We're going to break here pretty quick, and then we'll be back to talk more about some ideas about how to raise independent thinkers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
on It's Absolutely All About You. Host Eileen Nunez bases her show on the forthcoming book of the same name. If you've been taught to hold your head high and keep your self-esteem in check, where do you go if you aren't yet achieving that goal? Each program is based on a chapter of the book and comes from Eileen's many years of experience in order to help you find your inner peace. Listen for It's Absolutely All About You, live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Kathy Ellis at Make Life Work, and today's guest is Julie Choquette. She's been a family therapist, child therapist for 20 years, and we've worked together for seven or eight I think mm-hmm. now um, we're talking about helping or raising independent thinkers. And I had mentioned earlier about really asking children what they think versus what they feel. It's okay to say what you think they feel. You can look at them and probably tell. So you might say, I see you're angry or you look sad or you sound happy or you look confused. You sound confused. Um, that's teaching them the vocabulary they need to be able to express uh, uh, their feelings. And then you want to um, also, one of the things with parents they I've experienced is they don't want to acknowledge to their children when they're angry or happy or sad. Well, let's say sad and angry. And even though the kids can see it, like I've had a lot of parents say, I don't want to cry in front of the children. Well, certainly if you're crying all the time, there's something going on and you probably should seek seek some consultation of some kind excuse me but when they see your emotions when they see your emotional whatever it is it's okay to acknowledge it when when child comes up and says you know mommy why are you crying it's okay to say honey I'm just sad you get sad too and we all get through it but this is just mommy's sadness and it's not not your concern and and I'll be okay or um, if you're angry, you should probably say, I am angry. This helps the child, again, develop the vocabulary and attach words to the concepts, to the feelings. And differentiate between those. That's one of the things I've taught kids um, in practice and even drawn it on uh, like a dry erase board. Okay, here's your feelings, here's your thoughts, and then... What's the difference? The difference, and we'll, you know, have words for Mm -hmm. those or examples. And then we talk about behaviors and how, so do you want your behaviors to reflect 
oh, feelings and your thoughts and connecting those things. I think I've actually worked with adults that were kind of like, what? There's a difference between thoughts oh. and feelings? Oh, the times I've said, what do, what do you think about that? And I get a feeling right. and I go, that's a feeling. What's a thought? Right. What, what do you think? Or sometimes I ask somebody, what, what do they feel about something, which is infrequent for me, but I'll say, what how that make you feel? And I get a thought. And it is, there is a distinction that's an important distinction to make in all of us as individuals, so we don't muck it up. Because we need to make decisions based on our rational brain. That's right, our rational not, thinking, not our emotion. Not our feelings right. that you know, come and go and don't have to have any right. real... The other thing kids don't have are... Of, um, a broad, a broad vocabulary or, or understanding of the concept. They don't know the differences between annoyed and frustrated. Mm-hmm. Everything's just I'm angry or everything's I'm just frustrated. There's variations. We all know that there's variations on all these emotions. And the more we are in touch with those and can see those variations, then you're not walking around pissed all the time. Sometimes you're just frustrated. Well, it, that makes me think of... Um you know, my own experience with my kids, but also parents we've worked with when they have a little one that's frustrated and says, I hate you. Mm-hmm. And they're so upset about that. That's the worst thing. Well, that's the worst thing they can think of to say and to describe how badly they're feeling. Right. So it's not, they hate you. They just are so mad. That's the worst thing they can think of as a little kid. So if you don't, if you can't help your child to turn, you know, that language into the appropriate language. So I'm really angry at you right now. Then when they're a teenager or a preteen, then you get the F you. Right. Because they can't say, I'm so mad at you right now. They're just, they're saying the worst thing they can think of to say. Yes, I've had parents come in and say, my child said, I hate you. It's the worst thing in the world. And I think really because I can think of 10 other things yeah. that are worse than that. But really what, like, what you're saying is when a child says, I hate you, what they're saying is, I'm really angry with you. Frustrated. I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. It might even include, I don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So a kid says, I hate you. It's perfectly acceptable. And probably the best thing to do was, would be to say, I know you're angry with me. Or I can see you're angry with me. To turn around and say, never use that. Never say that yeah. is, is just not going to be effective. It's, it shuts them down. It slams them down. And they don't have the vocabulary. No, you have to help them to, to establish the... The vocabulary, the vocabulary and the co- yeah. so so they say I, yeah I say I hate you and you they say I hate you and you go you sound angry you look frustrated I'll bet you're confused right now so let's talk it through or we'll talk about it later this evening something like that and you don't the other thing on, on that note is you don't have to talk about it's best not to talk issues through when people are angry and upset so if there's a consequence a kid does something they come home late or would get a bad grade or whatever it is, didn't do the dishes, in the moment is not the best time to be discussing this. Give the consequence and get out and then come back later in the car, at the dinner table, and you can bring it up. You know, when you didn't do the dishes today, sweetie, I got to let you know, it's pretty frustrating for me because you can see I'm doing all this stuff. Man, that'd be too much. You know, I really need you to do the dishes. And so... Or if you're not sure of a consequence at that moment, you... Put it off. You say, yeah, we're going to talk about this later, and there's going to be a consequence. I'm still figuring that out. It gives them time to think and go, whoa, what's going to happen? Sometimes that is the best consequence. (laughs) We worked, um, I worked in group homes for a long time, and we would, we would, um, 
have staff meetings on Tuesdays. So if a kid messed up on a Wednesday, they had to wait till the following Tuesday to get the consequence. And wow, was that effective. And then after staff meeting on Tuesday, they'd come straight up to you. What's my consequence? What's my consequence? And sometimes at that point, we'd say, we decided to skip it. So they had a week of really quite stressful week analyzing and looking at all these different angles. And that was effective enough uh, for them. We didn't need to give them a consequence after that. Um, Good ways to get kids to listen. First of all, some of the obvious, you want to be an eye level. You want to use a calm and steady voice, firm if appropriate for the situation. Please, please stop ending every request with, okay, go clean your room. Okay, put your toys away. Okay, I need you to get better grades. Okay, that okay means it's an option. Go clean your room is a directive. Please go clean your room. But go clean your room. Okay, gives them an option. And parents do this to make it feel better. I'm giving you a directive, so I'm going to put this little okay at the end of the directive, and and we're all going to feel better. But in truth, the kid's going, yeah, not okay. Not feeling like cleaning my room. And you gave me a choice, really. I I think another part of that, too, is the timing. I mean, if you're, I don't know, in the middle of a phone conversation or say you're finishing up a project or something and somebody wants you to go do something right now, I mean, it's just it's just respect. I don't care if it's a child, an adult, you know. Just the barking orders, go yes, take out the right trash. right now and, you know, okay, well, it doesn't really matter if they do it right this second or in 10 minutes when they finished Oh, whatever it is they're doing. I just, yeah. I just think it's kind of rude and it's, it's tyrannical in a sense. <laughs> All <laughs> apologies to parents that do this. Um, well, but the know. kids have told us over and over again that it's just so frustrating. I'll be in the middle of something and my mom yells from the kitchen, I need to go do something. And if I don't jump up and do it right then and there, she starts yelling at me. Nobody mm-hmm. likes that. Nobody likes it. It's not effective. You say in, at the end of your show, please take out the trash. Or in 10 minutes when you're done with that activity, or when you're done with your homework, please take out the trash. Give them a time. Give them a time. I need you to do this by this time. By six, or um, or yes, by time. And that's teaching, by the way, that is teaching work ethic. Um, cooperation. Cooperation, time management. If parents forget what they're doing is raising workers. They're raising employees. Unless they plan on their kids owning a business, and even then they need to know time management. And they need to be respectful to their employees about, you know, get up and go do this kind of barking orders. When you're talking to kids to get them to listen, a touch on the shoulder or the hand is um, very effective, especially if they have ADD or tension, any kind of attention issues, just kind of holding on to a shoulder. Eye contact, again, is real important. And um, if a child doesn't really want you touching them and holding them somehow, that's okay. Give, you can respect their physical boundaries. But if I was having a child that was a little overactive and I had my hand on, a, let's say, his shoulder, and I'm saying, I need you to listen to me, and they're pulling away, I'll say, okay, I'll let go, but you need to stand here or sit here and listen to me when I let go. And if they don't, and they run away, that's a different issue entirely, which will be on another show. 
Oh, and speaking of not not talking in endless endless streams, <laughs> like we're doing. <laughs> yes, like every show is going to be. Children can't take in all that information. Stick with three sentences. Period. And lectures should be less than five. Really, three. I've asked, told that to plenty of parents, and their eyes get big. And I've had many parents say, "I don't think I can do that." The truth is, nobody listens really after three sentences. So you tell them what the the lecture should be three sentences and then ask them to recap it. Mm -hmm. Countless times kids have said, why does my parent repeat themselves when I heard them the first time? We're not talking over days. We're talking about in the same conversation. How many times did I tell you to clean your room? And that'll come up over and over again in the conversation. And the child's already heard it the first time. And it's very frustrating to them. Let's see. Also, endless streams of conversation dilutes the main point. You want to stick to the main point. And that takes some some training, too, I think, on our parts. Oh, yes. It's very difficult to stick to. Okay, I need to narrow this down to a precise... It's good practice for, for us as well. It's excellent practice. It's true. Today, people don't really say what they mean or mean what they say. There's a lot of gibberish and a lot of extra words. Um, let's see. The, um, a trick. This is a trick for teenagers in particular, but all children that aren't listening to you, the stubborn ones, that won't listen to you when you're speaking to them. Talk to another adult in the household. They can't not listen to you. For example, you might say to your spouse, Amy isn't taking care of her responsibilities, her dishes, whatever that is. Looks like she doesn't want to earn her allowance this week. If you have stubborn children and you're running into this problem, try that. Give it, give it a try and see if that works. I wouldn't um, uh, speak to another child about a child, so I wouldn't say that to the oldest teenager about a child. That's going to create resentment between the teenager and that child, and it's not the teenager's job to be a parent. Um, but it is. it works. Like a charm in the group homes, you know, you'd say, well, Mike doesn't want to do his chores. I guess he's not going to earn his money. Before we turn around, the chores are getting done. But if you looked right at him and said, I need you to do your chores, he would dig in his heels and not do anything. And it was almost like magic. And whenever we talk to children, try not to belittle, criticize with contempt and judgment. It hurts them. It hurts them bad, and I've watched the adult. I've watched the consequences in adults. It, and sarcasm. Yeah, kids don't. Sarcasm. It. it just feels mean to mean. them. It, and sarcasm, to a great degree, is a little mean when it's directed at somebody else. Um, there's a lot, lot of belittling, and it's subtle, even. You know, why couldn't you do it like I asked you to? Um, that's a little belittling and the comparing well when I was your age I had a job and (laughs) that kind of thing kids just glaze over (laughs) with that the only time they actually listen is parents that say when I was a kid I did drugs and it was bad and I don't do drugs now the kids listen to that and they look you up and down go huh you did drugs and you're okay now I wouldn't share that information. Not a good plan. Yeah, not a good plan. (laughs) We're going to go to a break, and we'll be back. 
find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Life is a journey which never gets easier. As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. Listen for the Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you ever stop to question yourself? Is there more that you could be doing in your life to help you? How can you manifest real change in the world? The answers to these and other questions about ourselves lie in sustainability from within. Featuring host Silvelli Salviato, you can take the either or and change it into both and. If you want to make real changes in yourself, your life, and your world, you can't miss one show. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello, this is Kathy at Make Life Work. We're back with Julie Choquette, and we're talking about raising independent thinking children. Let's talk about consequences. And it all adds up. Pretty much all parenting can be turned into helping raise independent thinkers. So one thing that happens with consequences, let's um, say a nine-year-old or a seven-year-old you're talking to, and you want to say you no TV because you didn't clean your room. And they're going to go with, but, 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 and have excuses. It's okay to listen. Parents shut kids down entirely too much, but it's okay to listen. I mean, you can spend that 60 seconds or 90 seconds, even two minutes, and listen to two minutes. It's sort of getting long, but um, listen to the child's excuses or rationale, whatever they want to say, and at the end, you can acknowledge what they said and still give the consequence. Just because you listen doesn't mean you agree. I used to know this fellow that was a, um, for lack of a better word, a BSer. So he was always full of bull. And he thought he would get, a, he was getting away with it. He really thought people were believing the things he said because people didn't turn to him and go, you're full of caca. They would just smile and nod their head. And it was really a disservice to him because he thought he was getting away with it. But it's okay. To, so it's okay to listen to kids. Um, consequences, of course, should be mostly natural and not forever. If your child lost your trust over a, a particular topic, it should remain in that topic. You don't say to a child, I don't trust you any longer. That is not ever accurate. First of all, no one's 100% trustworthy. No one. We all make mistakes. And it's always in areas. So I trust. If, so let's say your child, 
mm, broke something and lied about it. And and you say, I don't trust, and they lied. So the trust, the lie is the break of the trust. And you say to that trust, I don't, child, I don't trust you any longer. But yet that child gets to school on time and gets his or her homework done. Do you trust that's going to be done? Of course you do. You already know that about that child. So a blanket statement, I don't trust you, isn't effective. It's actually very counterproductive. You can say, I don't trust at this point that when you break something, you're not going to lie to me. So I'm not going to let you handle my important laptop or iPad or whatever it is. That's okay. But to say blanket, I don't trust you, is not fair. And couples do it to each other, and you should just stop it. I don't trust that you're going to come home on time. That's a clear statement. I don't trust you is too ambiguous and has nothing to do with anything. It's okay to express disappointment. I'm disappointed that you broke my iPad and lied about it. But we will get through this and we will work on it. And here's the consequence. Um, it's okay to express the disappointment. Mm, helping children mature. One of the things we were talking about in the break is kids that come across as smart or are big for their age. Preschool, we saw this a lot. I've seen this a lot in preschool. You get the big kids and everybody thinks that they're, you know, eight instead of five or seven instead of four, or, you know, and people talk to them, those children, as though they're, they're the older age. What did you say about that? Oh, I said my son was big and people would speak with, to him and ask him his name and ask him questions and he's, you know, 14 months old, not <laughs> really talking and he'd kind of look at them and... They'd be like, well, why isn't he talking? Yeah, he's a year old. Yeah, just that expectation. And a lot of that, too, I think, especially if you're like a first-time parent, oh, my gosh, that's so hard because then you start having doubts about your own parenting. And your child's Uh, development. mm, Yes, because you get so much feedback from everybody about how you should be raising Mm -hmm. a, a, a child. and. I remember feeling that way as well. And I think we were talking about getting yourself to a point where, you know, you have the confidence in your, in your abilities as a rational human being to, to raise a a child and not being affected by other people, not getting defensive. And sometimes that confidence, confidence is fake it till you make it. It is, you know, it's because it's not innate, and I, don't, and I don't believe it's natural. I think there's parts of bearing a child sometimes that can be natural. Not always, but there's parts of that, of the caretaking. Yes, that's natural. That right. can be natural. I mean, a cat can do, you know. But a parent doesn't have a child and then ha- automatically is a confident no, parent. No, no, Doesn't no. it get stripped away, uh, any confidence you had prior to that? And even if you had, say you know, outstanding parents. It does, still doesn't help you in day-to-day situations, especially, you know, a generation apart. It, you know, the world has changed. Yes. Um, One thing Julie does with her boys, and I, I think initially it re- was really sort of a rote statement, and now, because cause we've known each other a long time, and now I see that this is really about, it, it's internalized and in her confidence. The boys would try to argue with her, and she would say, I don't argue with children. And I learned that from my sister. 
Oh, very good. And she would stick with that. And of course, the kids would walk away. At some point, she's not engaging them. If you can find a, a statement, a, a mantra, um, if you're old enough to know what that is, um, that you stick with in a lot of these cases. I've taught plenty of parents where, for example, with the, with the excuse giving, that you say you need to clean your room, and the, and the child's trying to get themselves out of it. And they're giving lots of um, reasons why they don't want to or they shouldn't have to. But Sally doesn't. You didn't make Sally clean her room. You just say, I need to clean your room. But, but yesterday I didn't have to. I need you to clean your room today. But, you didn't, but your room's not clean. Well, excuse me. I need you to clean your room. That's kind of like a mantra. It's something you say over and over again. It helps you not get hooked and engaged in a meaningless, unproductive conversation. And it works like a charm with teenagers. Well, it's the derailing thing. Derailing, yeah. We spoke about before where they're just derailing you by bringing up, you know, whatever they can think of kids are really good at that so you give them instructions they don't do it you call them on it they give you excuses and then you get hooked well then we react and then it's because it it is it can be very irritating and annoying especially if you're having a busy day and but i would say that is like then one of the number one things that i really think about every day is you know being conscientious about you know how i react not reacting, mm-hmm. being calm, you know, it's, it's really not healthy for anybody. You're quite remarkable at it, by the way. Um, so then they get you hooked, and now you're in this long conversation, and now it's all this emotional content, and yes. nobody remembers what the point was in the beginning. Yes. So now there's just sort of this emotional engagement. And it's a lot of power for kids. It is. It's a lot of power, and we lose control. We're, we've lost control at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what I think can upset parents and make people mad is when they have the sense that they've lost control. control. And sometimes you have to kind of give up a little to, to get it. And in the, so in the middle of this conversation, the kids got you derailed. So they've thrown in all this stuff and now you're in emotional content argument. And if it dawns on you, you can stop mid-sentence and say, wait, you, you got me hooked? I'm not going to continue this conversation with you. It takes training. It does. It takes a lot of practice. And, you know, I learned that. I learned a lot of that in working with kids before I had my own and working with a behaviorist and, um, you know, who was working with me, training me to go into homes where families were having a lot of difficulties and doing those behavioral interventions. Mm -hmm. And I was a little removed because I wasn't emotionally involved so it was easy for me, and there were times when, you know, things get a little out of control, and you do feel that building up in you, and you calm yourself, and you have to be rational, and you, so that really helped to train me for having my own kids, which I think that was uh, probably a really <laughs> beneficial thing for me. Oh, it's excellent training. Every parent should go work in a group home. <laughs> well, yeah. Really, at some point. One of the best things, it's such a simple concept, too, about discipline, Discipline isn't punishment. Discipline is teaching. Right. So, you know, a consequence, um, discipline should be a, a teaching moment, not necessarily a punishment. Right. And you can't restrict them for months. Although parents, some parents do. I minded. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
talking earlier, we talked, we said something about asking kids what they think. And it's really important to do, but it, like Julie said, it's also fascinating. Kids are brilliant. And, and then they grow up into adults, but kids really have this sort of natural intelligence and wisdom that we lose somewhere along the way. Um, well, that's, that's that part about relating to your kid and enjoying them, mm-hmm. too. And they, they feel that. They know that if you're taking an interest in them, they know that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, it's a bonding thing. And that elicits, I think, cooperation just in general. If they really feel validated and listened to and respected and... They're going to give that back. In ter- in, they're going to give that back. Right. Be respectful and, and validate situations right. in the home they'll want to you know cooperate, cooperate and, be, and 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 please you and be part of the team because mm-hmm. you're a community at that point because they care they mm-hmm. care and they know you care which sounds really simple but i know <laughs> <laughs> but i think loving a child and then being able to value and show them you value them that's different absolutely yes. showing them giving them the attention and um, a lot of people just wait for their kids to grow up and become adults so they can relate to them. Mm-hmm. But kids are easy to relate to. And it doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, sometimes it takes a few minutes for them to get kind of saturated with you. Right. And not have to get your attention in bad ways. I mean, you just kind of meet them where they are in their world and, you know, whatever stage they're in, and you take an interest. They don't have to do cartwheels. And just, then they fill up, and they're good, and they don't yes, pester you for absolutely. hours and hours and all day long or create conflicts to get attention. Um, today, with the state of the world as it is today, it's very important to speak with kids about what they think, about what they're seeing on TV, um, and what they're hearing about. Ask questions ask lots of questions. If you know that they saw some news that was very disturbing, ask them questions about it. What do they think? Why do they think that happened? Well, they don't always get accurate information. Well, the news we are all agreeing isn't accurate at all. And the internet and some of the things you look up, and you just encourage them to, to, you know, find the source. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're ready for another break, and we'll be back in a few. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who have turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. 
You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello again, this is Kathy at Make Life Work. We're talking about raising independent children or doing our best and um, asking questions helping them sort out what they think versus just asking them what they feel all the time. One of the things I want to note is that we all need to make sense out of a situation or experience before we know what to feel. And what's happening a lot of the time is we just lapse into feeling before we know what the experience or situation is. Strong feelings, of course, can be an initial reaction to something, but before realizing there is actually no threat, no problem, or et cetera, et cetera. So asking children what they think first and then what they feel help them learn how to assess a situation by thinking it through first and then having an appropriate um, emotional response. Teaching example, I have an example here. Teaching a toddler confuses an ant for a bee and is upset the ant will sting them, but you need to teach the toddler that there's a difference between the ant and the bee. Not sure that was a good example. One of the other things we have noted, I have noted here, is developing physical, the need for physical boundaries. It doesn't seem like this would be related to independent thinking, but respect to one's boundaries, when other people offer them respect to their boundaries, it does, in fact, nurture their independence. it, it, It says that they are valued as an individual, that they're not a part of you or um, a part of us, that they're, they're their own person. So when you when a child doesn't want hugs hugs in front when they you know that age when they get to that age where they don't want hugs in front of their kids, that's a boundary that's easy to respect, and it, it's important. Or um, I had uh, worked with um, a person who used to a guardian who was raising uh, uh, the boy and would pat him on the bottom. You know, he was young, and he would pat him on the bottom. Well, he grew up to a, a point where he would say, he, he said, I don't, I don't want her doing that anymore. And so I explained that we talked about, she and I talked about that, and she stopped because she's a great person, and she was a great guardian. He's all grown up now. But there's a lot of people that wouldn't respect that boundary. And it's very important for not just developing that sense of self and individuation. But when you respect a child's boundaries, they learn to say no to other adults. And that's imperative. If if a parent or guardian just plows through a child's boundaries, they learn that there are no boundaries and that anybody can do whatever they want to them. So when they say no, when when it's something that you can follow through with, I would respect those boundaries. Don't barge through a bathroom door or bedroom door. 
you're the guardian and you need to keep them safe, of course. So knock, knock. You don't have to wait always, but knock first and then go in. If you're concerned and you want to just get right through the door, let them know, you know, at least. Well, it teaches them by example, too. Oh, yeah. Because how many kids have you talked to and have basically said their guardians or parents are hypocrites? Oh, they're, yes. They're preaching something, but they don't live their life that way. We have higher expectation of children than we do of ourselves. Well, they don't really have the rights. Right, they don't. To, I'm, not, I'm talking about, you know, rights to, you know, respect. Not right. rights to do things that adults do, of course. But, like, knocking, that's a very simple one. You know, it's very simple. If your child's door is shut, you can't knock on it. Right, and that's where we have that different uh, set of standards. So as a parent, I can walk right through the door, but I don't want my child walking through my door. Granted, it's your house, and <clears throat> essentially it's, you know, the parent's room. Sure. But as just a, just a human respect, you knock. And what yeah. if they're dressing? Right. And you, uh, you know, I mean, just something simple like that. So under my house, my rules, I can have the rule that we knock on doors. I was raised to knock on a door. Excuse <clears throat> my parents gave me that respect, and I had a supervisor once who barged, would barge into the office, and I asked him to knock. Uh, at some point, I said, stop, knock. You need to knock before you come in here. And he goes, oh, oh. It was very weird. He goes, oh, oh, you don't want me seeing you do your work? <clears throat> Excuse me. I said, no, I don't want you to catch me picking my nose. And guess what? He never walked through the door again without knocking. <laughs> Let's see. Um, oh, boundaries. Speaking of boundaries, in, in attire in the house, and I'm not sure that this really applies very well. I've just heard it from so many. I think it's attire in general. In general, yeah. right. Attire in general. Children really don't like it in this culture for their parents to be walking around naked or in their underwear in the household. I've heard it so many times from all ages. Or dressing, I don't know, scantily or inappropriate for their age. To be around them. And around their friends. It's embarrassing. Yes, it's one thing to go on a date or go sure. go out with your, your spouse and get sure. all dude it up, but on a daily basis when you're hanging out with your son and his friends, it can be a little embarrassing for them. They don't want to be tra tra you know, traipsing around in your bikini. That's, that's embarrassing. You're the mom. Yes, yes. And we say this because we've heard it so many times from children and teenagers. This isn't necessarily something we're just coming up with. Well, it's a respect that's, a, you know, looking up to. You know, not being on the same level with not being a peer. Right. You don't, you don't do that. <laughs> Children, I've had uh, from kids from 6 to 18 tell me, I don't need another friend. I need a parent. Right. Lots and lots of children. I mean, I don't know. Would you rather have your kid be sort of embarrassed that you're too, uh, what would be the word? Conservative or straight. conservative or, or that you're... Fuddy-duddy. Looking... Like a teenager. Uh, yeah, or something else, right? Yeah. No. So I want to thank Julie Choquette for joining me today. Just for the record, I made her. She made me. <laughs> it wasn't terrible. No, I hope it wasn't boring. <laughs> no, I don't think so. It was very good to have you today. Thank you. A lifesaver like usual. And next week we're going to continue with this topic of independent thinking, individuation, and autonomy. 
We're going to see a lot of this on the news right now with uh, conventions and protests. You know, we need, to, we need to be independent thinkers and not just jump on a bandwagon or join the crowd or get sucked into the mob mentality, which we're seeing all over the news right now. And I wish you all well this week. Have a wonderful week. And may I suggest, mm, have a, try a different perspective on something. When you find yourself being a little judgmental, maybe when you're looking at somebody in town or something on the TV, challenge yourself. See if that judgment is fair and whether it's necessary or not. Thank you for tuning in to Make Life Work. Please join your host, Kathy Ellis, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, try to see your life and world through a new perspective.